Well, good morning. It's just delightful to be here with you. So grateful for Pastor Adrian and the welcome here at River Park. So this morning, um, yeah, just to introduce myself a little bit. Uh, I am Canadian, and uh, I was brought up uh, primarily here in Calgary, and uh, delighted to have my brother and sister and my mother and my family uh, here to celebrate with me this morning. Um, and God really captured my heart as a, a young woman um, and has really nurtured a long-term call to serve uh, local leaders in Africa, and I've been immersed in ministry in Cape Town for about 15 years, and I'm really delighted to have joined Resonate Global this year as the Urban Training Collaborative Co Collaboration Coordinator, and I'm really part of a dynamic team. It's not I'm just not there alone in the Southern Africa, East Africa region, uh, who are absolutely passionate about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And my passion has come, is really to come alongside local leaders and to help them flourish as they wrestle with challenges and seek to be both share and to be good news in their communities. I'm also excited to foster theological education and conduct research and just to break down critical issues which hinder transformation and the expression of God's shalom in the cities of Africa. And you may ask, why African cities? In African cities, the pace of urbanization has been stunning. From 1950, about 10% urbanization, to 1990, about 35% urbanization, and then by 2015, close to 50% urbanization. And with this urban expansion, expected really to continue into the coming decades. This growth has been marked by deep poverty, by immense infrastructure backlogs, by weak capacity, and a shortage of money all around. And much of this explosive growth has taken place through the proliferation of the slum settlements, where life remains precarious for millions. I'll share more about my local experience later, but let's dig into the text today, uh, Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, uh, for better understanding of God's vision for the city. So I'd like to, to just pray and invite the Lord to, to be with us. Lord, we just are so grateful for your grace and your glory and your love for us and your love for the cities. Spirit, will you open our hearts to receive more of your love and more of your vision for our city and the cities of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to just walk you through a little bit what I hope to do um, this morning. Uh, the city without a church, talking about concrete spirituality. And so we'll open with a bit of a background to the book of Revelations, and we'll look into Revelations 21, share a little bit about Cape Town and the idea of concrete spirituality and just encouragement and hope, hopefully, for our times. And Revelation 21 and 22 present such a beautiful, imaginative vision of the new Jerusalem, a luminous city descending after much tribulation on earth at the end of John's apocalyptic vision. 
In this vision, John saw a city without a temple. What was John communicating to his hearers in the midst of turbulent times, which could help us in our times? The background of the book of Revelation, it's, <laughs> we obviously can't cover it all today, but just a few things. Um, before we read the scripture today, I'm going to provide just a few introductory remarks to remind us of the genres, the context in which the book of Revelation was written. It is the longest pastoral letter in the Bible, written to the churches of Asia Minor, yet it is different from the New Testament letters that we're familiar with. It was written by the Apostle John around 68 AD when he was exiled on the island of Patmos during a time when the early church faced persecution by the Roman Empire. And now, just a couple of notes about Revelation. Revelation is a pastoral letter. This letter opens with pastoral exhortations from Jesus Christ to seven churches located throughout Asia Minor. And as the revelation of Jesus Christ, it provided a counter-narrative to the domination of the Roman Empire, grounded in Old Testament imagery of around 250 allusions to texts like Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and Psalms, which would have been more familiar to those early Christians. They would have known when those images and those symbols were, were uh, identified throughout the book. The primary symbol of the slain lamb who rules in faithfulness and sacrifice over the evil powers of the world and opposes the Babylonian model of empire prevails throughout the books and prevails throughout what has been for the generations of Christians fighting that. And we are called to follow the lamb that was slain wherever he goes. Some churches in that exhortation are commended for enduring persecution and showing uh, steadfastness in, in the face of this pressure, while others are challenged to hold fast and to give, not to give into the compromise through comfort, security, wealth, or state-mandated cultic worship to be indifferent to the kingdom of God. Such challenges are faced by modern churches, and we would be do well to heed the call to persevere, repent, and hold fast to overcome the daily pressures to compromise with worldly temptations which don't align with Jesus. Revelation is apocalyptic literature. John writes this book as a revelation, uh, or in Greek, the apocalypse. Apocalyptic writing opens up a reality we do not ordinarily see pulling back a curtain beyond what we perceive. For John's hearers, this was a positive meaning, an unveiling, a pulling back of the curtain to reveal truth. For John's time and context, apocalyptic literature was not the negative, scary stuff we think of when we hear that word, apocalypse, but this had a positive meaning of divine unveiling, opening up a reality that we don't ordinarily see. The apocalyptic genre of Jewish literature presented symbols and dreams and visions that reveal God's heavenly perspective. And this is something that uh, was a perspective on the history and current events, but in the present, but in light of history's final outcome. 
opening up and breaking through to God's kingdom. And revelation is a prophecy. Prophecy descriptive of particular moments in the life of Israel and the church, extending beyond that present moment. Prophecy was spoken to God's people, usually through a prophet, as a warning or comfort in times of crisis. John declared, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ in the tradition of the prophets. And in the book, the most common command was look, followed by do not be afraid. John's pastoral letter was written to open up and unveil how God's kingdom was breaking through in the midst of opposing forces. Even in the catechism today, we reflected on God's goodness in the beginning of the biblical story. And in Revelation 21 and 22, we're given a glimpse of this redemptive picture. So I just want to give that little bit of an introduction before we read. We're not going to be able to read the whole chapter. But for the sake of time, we'll read verses 1 to 11 and then pick up again in uh, 12 and 21, skipping that, that beautiful detailed account of the perfect formation of the city. So let's read God's word together. Revelation 21.1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's Home is now among his people. He will live with them, and he will be, they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eye, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making all things new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all of these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. The cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshippers, and all liars, Their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven, the last plagues came and said to me, come with me, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone like jasper as clear as crystal. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And its city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day, because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter. Not anyone who practices shameful idolatry or dishonesty, 
but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So I'm just going to touch on just, just a couple of things this morning to remind us of this beautiful vision and what God sees for the city and what we can take away. The city as the bride of Christ. I can't possibly cover in the short time all that this would mean, but you know, just this picture, I saw heaven and the new earth and the old passed away, but this holy city, Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. This passion, passage opens with the passing away of the old heaven and earth. What we know and experience now is not eternal, and yet we are called to care for all that comes as the current gift of life that God has given. And here is a surprising vision of a new heaven and a new earth, not an inviting vision of a garden, but a city. We know in the concentration of people in the city, there can be violence, decay, injustice, and death. And yet Christ is pulling us toward the kind of city we long for, where the Spirit of God broods over the chaos of the sea, and like in the book of Genesis, and brings new life. We long to be clothed as a bride in white linen. Revelation 19 tells us that the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. And this fine linen is the fine linen. It stands for the righteous acts of God's people. We know the priests were also clothed in white linen as those who intercede and bless. And this is what God is drawing us to. In light of these unseen realities, we are being pulled to do everything we can to seek the welfare of the city and to bless it. Beyond our comfort, we are called to labor with Christ, to pray, as it, is the, as it is in heaven, so let it be on earth. Prepared to answer this prayer as we go out as ambassadors for Christ, drawn into building God's beautifying vision of the city, as opposed to the, the spiritual forces which promote wickedness and destruction of those who are made in the image of God. Secondly, God's home among God's people. Such a beautiful vision, this, this vision of God coming home among his people. He will live with them and we will be his people. And he'll wipe every tear away. We are not left alone, but we are called to unite with Christ who weeps over the condition of Jerusalem, of Cape Town, of Calgary, even now, we're being pulled into the love of Christ for his people in the city who experience the effects of sin, which causes tears and pain and death and sorrow. We can't simply say the earth is not our home. We're just passing through. Like John tells us in John 15, we are called to abide in Christ, to bear fruit, and to show ourselves his disciples remaining in his love so that that joy of God can be shared with our cities. God's love is a gift that helps us walk in the way of embracing the city of God in the midst of darkness and pain. And finally, the city without a temple. I saw no city, no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty, the Lamb, is the temple. 
And the city had no need of sun or moon, for the glory of the Lord illuminates the city. The Lamb is its light. Now, for the Jewish way of worship, a city without a temple was unthinkable. Yet in this unseen reality, the Lord God Almighty, the Lamb, are the temple, filling up everything in every way. In Christ, we can access the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know him better and make him known. Sometimes uh, it seems concealed, the light of Christ, and yet we are his body being called and drawn into the fullness of Christ to fulfill everything in every way. And you can see more of that in Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. So, you know, without a temple, without a church, the church can divide, sometimes divine a limiting expression of worship for people in their minds, sacred spaces. But this city without a church is the opposite of what we might imagine heaven to be. God cares for every part of the city, every person, everyone who sins and is sinned against. At first glance, a city without a church is a shock. But with more consideration, we begin to imagine the fullness of Christ in the concrete reality of life and in the everydayness of the multitudes that are packed into the city and struggling, desiring to see the light of God. And we are invited into this picture to find in the midst of humanity, in the intensity of relationships, and everywhere that God has placed us, we're being pulled to be this, see the illuminating glory of God, the envisioning of Christ as the hope of glory in our cities. And in us, Christ goes into the city where life is and where the greatest needs are. I'm going to give you just a little bit of a picture of the city of Cape Town. Um, I work in South Africa, and one, mo one of the most unequal cities of the world. This was an article in 2019, reflected that South Africa is a country that's deeply scarred by centuries of colonialism and apartheid, which mandated a deep division of racial segregation inscribed into the very fabric of the city of injustice and the layout. And the result is that large sections where people of color were, were forcibly removed to the Cape Flats or in townships, uh, there's a hundreds of informal segments that were created and that sprung up away from the well-located areas of the city. Many people see Cape Town, uh, you may see this, this iconic image of the, the, um, the stadium um, at the center. You can put the next slide up. Um, that you may recognize here on the left. You can see that as the real city. And yet, the informal settlements make up a large part of the largest part of the city on the outskirts, located where hundreds of thousands of people live, very densely populated conditions. And uh, this is Kailicha, uh, one of the places that, uh, that I work. And you can see from the, on the other side, the informal city, the electric connection showing how densely populated it is. Now, this next map is a map that people don't often see. It's a dense population density map. So it tells us um, kind of where the number of people. So the green spaces you see there are a little bit more like we are used to in Calgary. So um, that's the density that we were used to. But the, those tall towers are the density of people in the township spaces. 
And they're not high-rises, those are the density of people. So if you took Killarney and, and uh, this community with about 7,500 people and added 25,000 people, and then you put the 10,000 people into a square kilometer, that's the density that's in Kailicha. And it's, uh, they say it's about half a million to a million people, they can't even really count it properly, with 70% of people still living in the shacks and about one in three still walking 200 meters or more to access water. So close to 90% of the houses are food insecure. And youth unemployment rate is around uh, 65 to 70% for those under 35. And so what does God envision for all parts of the city is, is the question. Um, this next picture here, I love the picture of this tree, which is close to a place where we do some of our teaching. Um, it, it, to me, shows the kind of resilient leaders I get to work with. I don't know if you can see the roots, but the roots seem to come from nowhere. And it's a fitting recognition of how God works through his people in challenging spaces. Um, this is a side that's like an underpass. You go through and, and you see this tree on the side. These are people who are ready to engage in concrete spirituality. These are the, the kinds of, of, of things I get to do, um, facilitating the building of capacity of such leaders and their learning, growing networks of care so that we can learn from one another and building up those local leaders so that they can engage in the deep needs of the city. And I'm just trying to... Uh, join these leaders as we seek long-term transformation through the gospel, trying to sink our roots deep into relationships to foster practices of spiritual formation that will allow people to flourish. This next slide is a, a picture of my dear friend and colleague who I get to work with, Reverend Sakani Sabanda, a local pastor in Kailicha. And just to give an example of concrete spirituality, Spirituality. I just thought of her amazing work. As we agonized together um, during COVID-19, as it sort of first appeared on the scene, uh, she has a very small church there and was thinking, should we use our church for a shelter? What should we do? And this was before vaccines were available. We had a very hard lockdown in South Africa. You weren't allowed to go anywhere except for the grocery store or the doctor. But she prayed. We prayed together and agonized and came up with this this idea, um, to embark on a project that would not just give shelter in the church, but to go out to the thousand uh, houses surrounding the church with life-saving bleach and cleanser and uh, health information, partnering with Doctors Without Borders, working with the community members. Um, she, she got together the leaders and found volunteers to kind of adopt their own blocks and to be involved in this, not even church members, people in the community. And throughout that pandemic, their church was just a place of support. You know, they eventually created a food garden for the church, knowing that people were food insecure so that they could come. And for me, this is an idea of the kind of thing that we can only see when we understand that God's vision of the city is so much more than what we see in the midst of pain, in the midst of challenge. And this is the work that I get to do, get to partner with local leaders who are creative and seeking the face of God for how concretely we can engage in the city. Concrete spirituality in a church without walls. 
Only Christ can give us this kind of vision to pull his love and vision into the city, of the city, into our reality. Ephesians says, Ephesians 2, 19-22, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household to build on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. He is building us up. He's the one who's making us that holy temple in the Lord. And then this quote from um, this lovely book, The uh, City Without a Church, written in 1887. Um, the city, then, which God, John saw is none other than your city, the place where you live, as it might be, and as you are, to help and make it. In London or Berlin or New York or Paris or Melbourne or Calcutta or Calgary, these are they, these as they might be, in some infinitesimal degree, as they have already begun to be. In each of these and in every city throughout the world today, there is a city descending out of the heavens from God. Each one of us is daily building up the city or helping to keep it back. Its walls rise slow, but as we believe in God, the building can never cease. For the might of those who build, they are few or many, is so surely greater than the might of those who retard. That's no, that no day's sun sets over any city in the land that does not see some stone of the invisible city laid. To believe this is faith. To live this is Christianity. Does Christ's kingdom come among us and in the intensity of the cities? Do we experience this in our city? Can we join God and the Spirit as they make all things new? Can we join in this work of renewal, spreading the good news of Christ in the face of the bad news of the cities of our world? Human kingdoms repeat that Babylonian model time and again, crushing people by sin and death. But the kingdom of the Lamb comes with light and love in the midst of pain and struggle and the suffering of humanity. In the presence of the Lamb of God in us, we lead, lead into this, engaging in acts of righteousness, displaying God's kingdom, has come to the earth as it is in heaven, even as we pray. God longs to permeate every square inch of our cities with concrete acts of love and forgiveness in the midst of, God's of people's struggles. There's so much more I could say, but um, I hope that just gives you a, a little bit of a, a flavor. And I want just to remind us today, again, we are the bride of Christ. We are the presence of the Lord in the city. We are the church without walls where, there, where people don't experience that sacred space. We bring that in. We reflect the glory of God. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to commend these resources, um, some, some of which I drew from um, Henry Drummond's little book that you can read. Actually, if you look it up on Google book, Books, you can read it online, a sermon from... Uh, the 1800s it has a beautiful reflection and, and Daryl Johnson's wonderful book, Discipleship on the Edge, on Revelation. 
But it's just been a delight to be with you today, and I pray that the Lord will inspire us today. So thank you for, for listening. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the vision of the heavenly Jerusalem to inspire us, Lord. Help us to see what you see, God, in our cities. Help us to love our cities the way you love them. Help us to be the light that you've called us to be, Lord, the city on a hill. We thank you and we praise you for the revelation of Jesus Christ in our lives. Please help us to share that with everyone we meet. In Jesus' name, amen.